The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to the latest edition of 100, the Ed Gordon podcast. Today, a conversation with activist April Rain. Rain gained international attention after her 2015 hashtag, Oscar So White, that spoke to the lack of diversity in Academy Award nominations went viral. The tweet struck a chord, not just in the industry, but around the world. It thrust the campaign finance lawyer into a white-hot spotlight and took her from relative anonymity to celebrity overnight. I think people just thought of you as someone who had a clever hashtag and it ran from there, but knew very little about the career you had prior to that. And that is um, that you were a campaign finance lawyer for 15 years. Tell me a little bit about a, what you were doing up until the hashtag and how the hashtag really almost overnight changed your life, I, I would suspect. Absolutely. And thank you, first of all, Ed, for having me on today. I'm very excited to be with you. Um, I, As you mentioned, I was a campaign finance lawyer uh, following the money, as everyone does in, in that business. And so part of my job was uh, looking at professional 
legislative, political campaigns and ensuring that people were doing all the right things that they should have. It was not interesting work. (laughs) It absolutely did not fill my soul um, as, you know, in theory, but that's what we want our jobs to do if we have to work at all, right? Uh, And so I had been looking for another outlet for my creativity. So initially I became a writer on broadwayblack.com, which is an online celebration of black folks on and off the Broadway stage. And that was great. And eventually I became um, a managing editor of Broadway Black, which allowed me to work with other writers and um, ensure that their writing was tight and strong. And we were covering things like no one else did. We covered the Tony Awards and everything. Um, And we understood that it was important to highlight uh, the black and brown folks that are on stage, because unfortunately, there aren't that many of them and they don't get the attention they deserve. So I was doing all of that while still working full time. And Uh, I was in my family room on that fateful morning in January of 2015. And I was in my family room because I love the Oscars. I love all kinds of entertainment stage and film and screen. Uh, And I found out that Chris Hemsworth, the guy that plays Thor in the Mm -hmm. MCU, was one of the presenters. And I said, you know what? I need to have Thor in HD on the biggest screen in my house because Thor today was wearing a suit. Uh, So I was in the family room getting dressed as opposed to in my bedroom. And I was listening to him and his co-presenter. And it struck me that category after category, there were no people of color nominated for any of the films. And so that's 20 slots, right? Best actor and actress and best supporting actor and actress. And if we remember, 2015 meant 2014 films. So Mm -hmm. we're talking about Selma. They're talking about Beyond the Lights. Um, There were so many great performances that year. And so I picked up my phone, which is typically embedded in my forearm. I jumped on Twitter, which is my social media platform of choice. And I said one tweet, Oscars so white, they asked to touch my hair. Uh, And that was it. Uh, I went on to work as a campaign finance attorney. I checked in on Twitter around lunchtime. And based on that one tweet, the hashtag was trending around the world. Uh, And then I had to make a decision. Uh, What does it look like? This was not my first viral hashtag. It would not be my last. And as everyone knows, hashtags come and go every hour, every day. One has to choose whether they're going to sort of give it life. And uh, it was clear to me, although the first responses to Oscar So White were as petty and snarky as I was being, uh, the conversation uh, shifted into something much more substantive about the lack of equity and representation in Hollywood as a whole, both in front of and behind the camera. And so for the last, you're absolutely right that this has changed my life. I stopped practicing law. I moved away uh, from where I was in the DC area uh, and nothing as Drake would say was the same. Uh, And so now for the past seven or eight years since Oscar So White, I have been working uh, on the outskirts of the entertainment industry Mm -hmm. with brands and companies and networks and TV shows uh, to help them if they're serious about it, because not always are they, uh, about being more intentionally inclusive up and down the line in front of and behind the camera or screen. Let me ask you this. I I would suspect, uh, particularly uh, from filling your soul, as you put it, um, this was something, uh, albeit very random, uh, something that you can appreciate. But going from relative anonymity 
to someone who the next day was getting calls from every television network uh, that you can think of, uh, that can be very daunting at times. Give me a sense of what you were feeling when this became even more than just a trending hashtag. Sure. The, the first thing was fear <laughs> because, you know, again, I was genuine, just a movie. Genuinely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because I was just a moviegoer like everyone else. I didn't have any training in the entertainment field. And so I had to get up to speed with, okay, well, how white are the Oscars? <laughs> you know, so a lot of research had to be done very quickly. You've put this out there. You've made this claim. Can you back it up? And sadly, you know, the, the stats are even worse than I realized at the time. So I was, and then it was, uh, after I got over that uh, that initial fear, it was, is this sustainable? Because hashtags don't pay the mortgage. Uh, and so, you know, what am I going to do? Can I make a career out of this? Um, I, I have no problem saying I'm 52 years old. When I was in high school in the mid and late 80s, uh, if you wanted to be a professional, that meant four things. Engineer, doctor, lawyer, accountant, right? Mm -hmm. You could not create your own career as so many millennials and Gen Zs do to their credit. Uh, it, you know, and, and it was uh, you know, pounded into me that you get that job and you keep that job, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, you know, and, and you stay with it and you show loyalty, unfortunately, to organizations and jobs that don't always show it back. And so then the question became, is this something, do I take the leap and really make this change? And uh, to my ex-husband's credit, he was incredibly supportive, uh, you know, and, and provided me that safety net. I can see uh, how important this was to me and how it, it actually did fill me. Uh, and so he said, you know what, jump off, jump off the cliff, you know, let me be your parachute, I got you. Uh, and, and so here we are. Let me ask you this, and here's what's interesting to me. It couldn't have happened any other time than the time we live in now because of social media. And I think it's interesting because what it does is it elevates someone like yourself who had a particular background, I think, that lends itself to being able to do what you did, uh, you know, research, really delve into it and thrust upon an idea um, and present yourself knowledgeably. It also thrusts people into positions who now have a platform, who now oftentimes become an overnight spokesman for not just themselves, but by default, our community um, that perhaps should not have that seat. I'm wondering how you see that, because it really is a double-edged sword. And I don't have any qualms. I'm 62. You're 52. I'm 62 in August, I will be. And it's interesting because I do see the dynamic of the very plus side of social media, but more than a lot of younger people, I do see the downside of it in a way and am not afraid to sometimes, at the risk of being canceled, uh, push back against it. So I'm curious how, how you see that. It's difficult. You know, I, I absolutely agree with you that being not necessarily being a lawyer, but having been trained to be a lawyer uh, was incredibly helpful. You know, I knew uh, that I was going to go to law school when I was in high school. And part of that was because, uh, first of all, I, you know, I couldn't do bodily fluids, so I couldn't be a doctor. <laughs> and I'm good with numbers, but I didn't want to be an accountant and so on. Uh, but I was trained to learn uh, to speak well 
to write well, and to make a cogent argument quickly. Uh, and all of those things serve me incredibly well on social media. You know, Twitter is my platform of choice. Uh, not only could it not have happened at any other time, it couldn't have happened on any other platform, right? Instagram is mostly visual, so it wouldn't have worked there. Mm -hmm. The hashtag wouldn't have worked there. Facebook, you know, it, it's got a bad rap and sometimes rightfully so. People wouldn't have heard about it <laughs> until months later uh, and so on. And TikTok didn't even exist in, in 2015. Uh, so what I had already established is a great community on Twitter who had invested in me, you know, people who believed um, what I had to say and, and who took stock in it. And so I had learned at that time, we didn't even have threads, uh, you know, of tweets consecutively mm -hmm. the way that we do now. And so I knew that anything that I put on Twitter, it had to fit in then 140 characters, not even 280, right? It had to be something succinct. Uh, so that if a newspaper outlet or a conservative who didn't like me or whatever took one tweet, it would stand alone. It wouldn't need a whole bunch of context around it. And I don't know that people, um, that all people put in the thought to what their online persona looks like. You know, I want to be as authentic as I can all the time. You get April, good or bad, good and bad, uh, you know, 100% of the time. And, and I think that's important too, that you're not trying to be one person online and then you're a completely mm -hmm. different person. My private life obviously is private, but what I'm presenting to you is something that I would say, whether we're sitting in my living room or if we are on a social media platform. I'm, I'm curious. Um, the, the other thing that happened is that, you know, just by happenstance or divine intervention, depending on how you look at it, is the time that it happened really was during a time where we started to see tumult uh, really raise itself. I mean, there's always been racial tumult in this country, but we were starting to see those wheels really churn, really churn. And because of that, I think it put people like yourself and a few others that I can think of in a position again to be, because once the media finds you and they like you, they do give you a position to be a spokesperson for a particular people. Um, how has it been for you to be thrust into that position now to get calls and to speak for, and again, in quotes, us? Um, for a myriad of issues. I want to push back on that a little bit because I don't claim that. Uh, you know, Black people are not a monolith. Uh, so the things that I say, uh, you may not agree with all of them. Other people may not agree with all of them. So what I am doing is providing my perspective. Uh, it, and and I, you know, I, I think it's unfortunate that black folks specifically get lumped together as if, you know, there is one person who can speak for all things. You know, I think back and, and I am not comparing myself by any means, but I think it back to the civil rights movement. There was, you know, MLK, Martin Luther King, and there was Malcolm X. And eventually they got, very, you know, very close together. But people were thinking initially that there were two different factions and the media and the government played up those factions. Right. You had to be either one or the other and you couldn't be both. I want to operate from a both and possibility, uh, you know, so I am providing the perspective that I have based on my years on the planet and based on uh, the community that I talk to on social media, regular everyday people 
who, you know, pay their 15 or $20 to sit in a darkened theater, you know, pre-COVID or, you know, streaming services now, right? Um, but I, I don't say that I speak for everyone because no, I don't I agree think that's with fair. You. I agree with you 100%. But we also know how this game works. And the idea that the media gives us all tags, right? And so, as I said, what the media will do unfairly is they will call a black person to speak on an issue. In your instance, in your case, you were introduced to them as a as an entertainment person, again, in quotes. But they'll call you for other things now that have absolutely nothing to do with entertainment, simply because you're a black face. They know you're good on television. They know that you'll give a good soundbite. So there is a certain responsibility, not that you sought, but that has been delivered to you because of this. Yes. I, yes. And, and that happens a lot. My responsibility when that happens is to ensure that I'm the right person to speak on that issue. Uh, you know, and not just say, oh, yeah, I get to be on TV again. You know, let me talk to whomever. It's, you know, this isn't my subject. Um, you know, I don't have expertise here, but because of the community I've curated, um, you know, over these past 10 years, let me turn you on to somebody who can. You mm -hmm. know, so if you're calling me to speak about um, Black folks in the queer community, I, I'm not queer. I'm not part of the LGBTQ plus community. So that's not me. And it's not my place to speak on behalf of, com of a community to which I do not belong. Uh, and so I will direct you to Dr. David Johns, who is, a, you know, the National Black Justice uh, Coalition founder. Right. And so and there are, you know, there are other areas where, you know, if you talk to me about environmental issues, I can tell you what I think. But if you're looking for stats and data, that's not going to be me. So Another, you know, I, I give you over to Dr. Ayanna Johnson, a brilliant black mm -hmm. uh, micro marine biologist. Right. So I think it's our responsibility, those of us who have platforms to stay in our lane as much as we can, you know, talk about the things that you know about, but also lift as you climb um, and, and give to others those opportunities that may not be right for you. When we come back. April on the new interest in black media content since the George Floyd murder. Is it a sea change or just a waning trend? Plus why she decided to go public with what many see as a very private matter. Since her viral hashtag, Oscar So White, April Rain has been in the forefront of bringing more diversity to media and corporations. Since the murder of George Floyd, there had been a change in the winds. Many media companies became more interested in content for and about people of color. Corporations across the board talked more about diversity and more equitable opportunities and they threw a lot of money at the, quote, issue, end quote. But was this earnest or just a temporary window dressing for white guilt? I want to ask you about something that I talk about often, and I, you know, was quick to tell people uh, in our industry that, um, you know, get it while the getting's good because that window is going to be closed. And that's the white guilt that we saw, quite frankly, after the murder of George Floyd. Uh, it was as if, uh, you know, they were just handing out stuff to black people left and right uh, again. 
Some of it great, and some of it, as we're starting to see, uh, was delivered to folk that really probably should not have gotten it, uh, including for content creation. Uh, I'm curious how you've taken a look at um, the entertainment industry as it has morphed to this point um, after the death of George Floyd and the, the reckoning that came uh, because of that, and, and whether you see it as something that is here to stay or whether... Um, you lean a bit toward me uh, in, in that I don't know. I don't know if it's here to stay. Just curious how you see it. I think that pendulum is already swinging back uh, the the other way. Unfortunately, you know, I, I don't think it's sustainable, and that tells me that those folks who were you know pro black people in the summer of 2020 weren't really serious about it. You know, they they it sounded good uh, and it made for good copy for good press, uh, but it wasn't sustainable. And so that's some of the work that I'm doing now. How can you be intentionally inclusive? How can you be um, for uh, things that matter to black and brown folks all year long, not just during Black History Month? You know, uh, and, and it's difficult because. So many brands, corporations, organizations want to throw money at it. You know, let's just do this thing and we'll look at it and it's fine and let's move on. And so then I say, okay, but, you know, what does your C-suite look like? What are your retention levels of um, people from the global majority? What are you actually doing to make change? Or is this just about, you know, you throwing money at an issue? Because, again, that's not sustainable. And even the money that they were throwing in 2020 is not the same money that they're throwing in 2022. So I think you were absolutely right to to tell people to get what they could when when they could, because it's drying up. How do we break that cycle? Because I've seen it even prior to uh, George Floyd's death, that whatever, you know, event happened to, quote unquote, uh, black folk that brought the guilt out. To your point, it was throw them some money and then they'll be happy and we can move on. Uh, There is a question of the age old notion of until we own, we're going to be here. Yet, if you look at the disparity in terms of money between a black production and a white production and just the sheer wealth gap in America, it's very hard to compete without white money at an A-level, if you will, in entertainment. Uh, When you look at all of that, and I know you've studied it, um, how do you see that as something that can be looked at positively? Because I often... Uh, wilt a bit when I think about it, because what we're doing is we're we're demanding from people that don't really want us at the party. Truth be told, it's difficult. Uh, what gives me encouragement are people who say they're no longer waiting for a seat at the table. They're creating their own mansion and putting their own table in it. So obviously at the top of that list is Tyler Perry. Uh, And regardless of whether you enjoy his movies or not, you cannot shake his business acumen, right? And so he has created his own studio so that he he can promote, he can make, he can produce, he can write the movies and the TV shows that he wants to see and also provide um, services and space to others. So part of Black Panther was filmed at Tyler Perry Studios in Atlanta, right? I think about Will Will Packer, uh, Ava DuVernay, obviously. Um, And so, and there are other uh, Black and Brown 
artists, creators, actors who are creating their own production company and saying, this is the work that we want to see. We're going to put our money behind it. Jordan Peele and Mon- Monkey Paul Productions. Uh, it, and so there are opportunities out there. It is harder. Yes. Uh, and, and it can also, again, be a both and, you know, you mm-hmm. understand that, you know, black folks are in vogue again and, you know, we want to make this movie. Give us some money to make this movie. Let us partner with you on that. Um, but allow us to keep the creative control, which is incredibly important. Are you as optimistic or are you optimistic at all when we talk about the the finality of that road? And that is the actual ability to distribute the content, because at the end of the day, until we get there, even with the great things that Tyler has done and Will has done and was what Ava, Ava is doing and Oprah has done and you know we can go down the list. They still have one more hurdle to go over to get it to all of us. It it's difficult. And, and that's the worst part. You know, Ava was very vocal in the fact that, you know, uh, her the production company said, yes, go make Selma, make this beautiful film, but didn't support it all the way through, didn't distribute. You know, and, and so when it came time for award season, Folks weren't getting the screeners because they said, "Okay, we've done our part, Um, but you're absolutely right. It has to be full circle. You have to get the film out. You have to support it. And especially when we when it comes to award season, those big production companies, uh, the movie studios have to make decisions about how much money they're going to allot to promoting each film based on whether they think it's going to win. So if they don't buy into the fact that people are going to see black art um, and that it can win awards, then there's not going to be any money or very little money shuttled over there. And that's unfortunate because they're not seeing it through. And again, it feels like, um, you know, they're throwing money at the issue, but not enough because they're not following through. They're not being intentionally inclusive all the way through the process. And so we need in, in entertainment, we, we need a lot of different things. We, we need better distribution. We need more people of color as film critics, right? You know, I'm of the age, I know you are too, Siskel and Ebert would give their two thumbs up or not. And if they didn't, then that movie was dead in the water. Well, I don't know that their sensibility, the things that they're interested in as white men, as older white men, is the same as mine. You know, are they going to enjoy Girls Trip as much as I did? (laughs) Right. And so why should I listen to them and say and say, oh, well, they didn't like it. I'm not going to like it either. And that's why it's important to have diverse viewpoints um, with respect to film criticism and TV as well. We turned our attention to other areas of concern for a moment. Rain has been more than an activist for a more diverse entertainment landscape. Long before her hashtag went viral, she was fighting for equality in many areas. I asked her about what her feeling is about the fight to keep the gains already made in this country around race and more diversity and the tenuous place democracy sits in today. I think we're at a crossroads. And and that's why I uh, am one of the co-founders of She Will Rise, which is the only Black woman led, created and led organization specifically focused on the nomination and confirmation of Black women throughout the federal judiciary, including the Supreme Court. So we had a wonderful win with Katanji Brown Jackson recently, but there's more. There are more Black women in the pipeline. Uh, it, I think... 
this country is as fractured um, as it has been in the last 50 years, if not more so. And so we all have to think about how we can become more active and make change. One of the things that we can do is vote in every election, you know, presidential on down. You know, this is not an election year for president, but it is an incredibly important election year, right? All of the House of Representatives is up and a third of the Senate is up. And as importantly, all of your local elections may be happening this year. So, you know, yes, we can talk about Roe versus Wade um, and climate change and all of those things. And they're all incredible incredibly important. But what is also important is who is sitting on your school board and deciding what books your kids are going to read. Uh, You know, who is your sheriff and what is his view on pulling over a black son like mine because they think he shouldn't be driving in that type of car. Right. Uh, And so it's important that we stay involved. So, yes, inclusion up and down the line, not just in entertainment, but everywhere, including in politics. Uh, And and it's very clear that not all skin folk are kin folk. Right. (laughs) So we don't want to just elect people because they're black or brown. We want to elect them because they share our values. And that's incredibly important when you're going into that booth or, you know, mailing in your ballot, uh, because we need to be thoughtful about who is going to best represent us. And so I think that's what's most important, that we all can do a little bit more um, to create the country that we would like to see that we have been denied for so long. I I think it's very important that you connected the dots because too often uh, people don't connect the dots to voting to the outcome of how you deal with life on a day to day, particularly when you talk about um, federal appointments and lifetime appointments. And, you know, my contention is, um, you know, a position at the Supreme Court is, I would argue, even more important than who you elect as president, because that person is only going to stay there for eight years at best. Uh, and so we've got to start connecting those dots. Let me take you to one other thing before I go back to your t- content creation. I hope you don't mind this, but, and I wouldn't have done this. Uh, obviously, I wouldn't have known, but certainly when you put it out there and you said earlier, and I thought it was interesting, my personal life is my personal life. And then you went on to talk about the things that you're doing professionally. But you bravely, I think, put up something uh, the other day because of what's going on in this nation with Roe versus Wade. And I'm, I'm curious why you decided to suggest that you had had at one time an abortion and, uh, you know, hearkening back to when you and I grew up, that was one of those things. And you alluded to this that you just didn't talk about. I'm curious why you decided to speak out on that uh, in such a public way. And I thought it was interesting that you said we can't continue to be ashamed or hide this. We need to deal with this publicly. Yes, I uh, I have had an abortion. I um, I think it was important because of the platform that I have, because it is my responsibility to talk about these issues, um, because I think that people will listen to me just based on the numbers of people. Yeah. I think I have like 195,000 followers on Twitter. It's an obscene number, but as you alluded to that gets play, right? That, that means something to me or whatever. And so when I say something good or bad, and and I have tripped up and fallen many, many times, uh, it gets more notice. It is so 
I believe that abortion is a medical procedure uh, that women have just as we get our breasts examined every year, just as we have, um, you know, once we become, once everyone becomes a certain age, you should get a colonoscopy, a medical procedure. Right. And and it was a choice that I made for me. And I think that we need we all the country needs to be more open about what it is and what it isn't. Uh, I think patriarchy and, uh, you know, Christianity and a whole bunch of other things have made women feel ashamed for making the choice that is best for them. And that's that's unfortunate uh, because what we know is that. Unfortunately, too often, those people who say that they are pro-life are really anti-abortion, right? And so we should be we should be honest about that, because once the child comes into the world, they're not helping that child or that mother. You know, they're and then they will rail on folks for being on welfare or assistance or whatever. And it's like, well, you know, how is she supposed to feed her child? Right. And and they and, and social services are underfunded, uh, if and underutilized, if at all. Uh, So I think it's important that we be honest about things. Um, We should not be ashamed of medical procedures. And we need people who are in positions of power, uh, just as several Congress people have come forward and said that they also had abortions, to be honest about it so that women who choose to make these really important and personal decisions um, can do so without threat of violence or prison uh, or or anything else. Because I know that had I chosen differently, my life would not be what it is now. I, you know, I was not ready. And, And there are you know, it's it's there are different reasons why women choose uh, to have abortion. And sometimes it's medically required. You know, it's either the mother will die or, uh, you know, this is going to happen. And I think that we just need to be more honest about the conversation, regardless of whether one agrees with it or not. You know, how can you say that you you disagree with me getting my teeth cleaned? Right. How is that your business? <laughs> you know, how, how can you disagree with me, um, you know, having an endoscopy because my tummy it feels a little weird. If that's not your business, then an abortion shouldn't be your business either. We close by circling back to media content created by African-Americans and what she's doing to ensure more space for people of color in that arena. Most importantly, what I'm doing is working for uh, an organization called GAUGE, G-A-U-G-E, and they are part of Values Partnership. And what we are working on is um, having difficult conversations with corporations, brands, movie studios, TV networks, just as I mentioned earlier, about how to make the right decisions on issues that affect culture. Uh, So um, most recently, there was a big box store, I won't give the name, who decided that they were going to put out an ice cream for Juneteenth. And it didn't make a lot of sense. Uh, And, you know, and and I can think of a couple couple of years ago, there was a particular soda company who had a very well-known female spokesperson. They did a huge commercial that I think was filmed in Abu Dhabi or something. And the premise was that she was going to solve racism by taking a sip of soda and high-fiving a cop, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And so when we see these things, when the community sees these things, the question is always, 
who approved that? <laughs> you know, how many different levels, layers of approval did this have to go through where there was not one person of color, one person in that community, in the room, and not just in the room, but who had the authority to say, this isn't going to work. This is going to backfire. Let's do something else. And so that's what Gage does. We put people in the room. We do um, rapid response market research. Uh, you can talk to influencers like me and others, and just, you know, put your ad out there. Uh, so we've worked with uh, Procter & Gamble, for example. We've worked with Sephora. Um, I am an equity advisor with Sephora now um, so that they don't make these type of unfor unforced errors because when they happen, you know, you can pull the, you know, you can pull the ice cream off the shelves, you can pull the TV ad down, but it's already out there in the zeitgeist. And what we know is that the internet lasts forever, right? And so these memes are created. And so not only do you lose um, potential market share and money, uh, but, you, you know, through all of the stuff that you now have to throw away, but you also lose um, influence within that particular community. You lose standing and you have to build that back up over time. And so if on the front end, you're talking to the right people, the people who are going to be most impacted, then you're not going to make these kind of mistakes. Uh, and so it's better to work with Gage at the beginning than at the, at the back end when we're trying to help you clean, clean up a PR mess. Well, April, if I can paraphrase Gil Scott Heron, uh, you know, those who control their image control their world. And, and, you know, image is so, so very important. I appreciate all the work you're, you're doing to, uh, you know, keep those companies and corporations uh, righteous as best we can. And I, I think it's so very important. Thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was lovely. 100 is produced by Ed Gordon Media and distributed by iHeartMedia. Carol Johnson Green and Cherie Weldon are our bookers. Our editor is Lance Patton. Gerald Albright composed and performed our theme. Please join me on Twitter and Instagram at Ed L. Gordon and on Facebook at Ed Gordon Media.